we're back to the Neil Haley show. And, you know, I, I love this kind of a conversation because I want to fly. I can, I believe I can fly and I'm not going <laughs> to sing. I can believe I can touch the sky. Well, this guy will make me do it. Six foot 10 when I used to be able to dunk, I could fly, but not fly enough. That's why I'm not sitting here as an NBA legend. I'm sitting here as a former college basketball player, pro wrestler, and now entertainer. But my guest today, Paul Rubin, the fly guy, is going to teach me how he got involved in this and stuff. Paul, thanks for stopping by. How are you? Uh, my pleasure. I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Uh, so tell me how this ha- how this start. Come on now, dude. Uh, uh, <laughs> I'm flying. Did it, you- it, it actually goes way back when I, I started when I was like eight or nine and my my aunt bought me a magic kit. You know, those little cheap magic kits with the top hat and the fake rabbit and all that stuff. And you're doing all the magic. Well, I because of that, I became a magician and I was doing magic professionally when I was 11 or 12. And uh, I really enjoyed performing. So I wound up taking theater in, in high school and then again in college. And while I was in college, a friend of mine was the secretary for a company that specialized in flying people. I had no idea that even existed, that, that that's all they did. All, we fly people and it's, and it's not an airplane. It's, it's actually stage flying. Um, and they were looking for a young college kid that they can, you know, uh, that can fix equipment when it came back broken and, you know, clean up the shop. But when I met with the owner, he was really impressed with my theatrical background, the fact that I was a magician and an actor. And he thought, you know, you're better suited to choreograph these flying sequences and do this on the road instead of cleaning up the shop. Is that something that would interest you? And I'm like, (laughs) yeah. Um, So I started doing that and um, and I became his, his protege. And this is the guy that actually taught Mary Martin had to fly as Peter Pan and Sally Field had to fly as the flying nun. Oh my so God. I'm like, so yeah. So, and, and I worked, I was his protege for, for eight years. And then uh, during that time, I realized I don't really want to do anything else. This, this, this is my love. I, I, okay. I don't want to act. I don't, I, I like magic, but to me, the illusion of flight on stage is, is, is giving me the biggest thrill. Right. So I've been doing it for over 30 years now. So have you just stuck with the on stage or you've done in other places as well? Oh, no, I do. I do stage. I do uh, TV, film, and I even do outdoor arenas, arenas. Okay. You heard about what happened to Owen Hart back in the day. If you're a fly person, you understand. I, I sure so, did. That yes. was so, uh, I, yeah. I, I not only, I was actually on tour with Peter Pan and we were playing Broadway at the time. And the Today Show contacted our press people and asked me to go on as an expert witness and to discuss it. And I'm like, no, I, there's no way. I, I, I don't want to even be associated with this. Um, and I, I don't know if you know how it happened or, or what the whole issue was. I remember, but- so, so there was something that was not protected, right, or something. No one was really nervous to get up there, too. Right? He, he was, he was. But, but the, the rigger that did the equipment, or supplied the equipment, used a, a piece of rigging that, can be released under tension. And while he was 70 feet in the air, he was moving around and his cape got caught in, in, the, in the clip and it released it and, and that was it. Oh my gosh. It was just somebody that did not rig it right. Got it. Oh. Exactly. Right. You know, cause Sting in WWF and WWE and WCW used the, the rig. And then you brought a lot of musicians too do the flying. Oh yeah. Oh, I've, I've, I've flown everyone from Kevin James on, and Kevin Can Wait to uh, 
uh, Kathy Rigby and Peter Pan. And I, I currently have Wicked on Broadway right now and uh, a production of Little Mermaid in Japan that's been running for, for nine years. And they're, they're going as safe as possible. So this is almost like a production company, right? You're the production person that comes up and you have a team to do all these different things. You're the creative side. Correct. I, I, do, I do all the choreography of it. I choreograph all of the actors and then I either design the equipment or I find out, I find a vendor that has the equipment that, that does what I need it to do. And then I, I sub that equipment out and then we rent it. The, the production company rents it and then I use it to choreograph. Where do you want to see your company go? Is there any larger you can go with all the different things you've expanded on? Um, well, I, I am currently worldwide. Uh, I've been in 30, 37 or 38 different countries, six of the seven continents. Nobody is doing anything in Antarctica. So I'm, I got to wait for that. Um, but it's it, coming out of the pandemic really hurt. I mean, it, it, it hurt live entertainment. So we're trying to try to bounce back and, and our schedule is really filling up our, our fall and, and spring of next year is, is, is looking real good. That's fantastic. And so, so the pandemic hurts you for sure because live entertainment disappeared. Well, Broadway yeah. shut down for 18 months. Yeah, no, I, I couldn't was... believe that. And it's not, so it's back now. That's great. As you said, it is. Are, are yeah, it's back in full theater, full theaters now? Full theater, full theater, full audience. Wow. It's great. Uh, that's, uh, that's great that finally, because I remember interviewing some people for Broadway. So that it's just a tremendous what you're able to do. So what, what, what do you now, what's on your wish list now, like, or bucket list because of you accomplished so much in this business, is there something else you want to accomplish? Is there a chance to get an Academy award for flying or something? Um, or there's, there's not an Academy award. However, there is a, the Broadway hall of fame, you know, or, or a, an honorary Tony award, um, things like that. But I mean, I don't even look at that. It's it, to me, it, it, since there's no category for it, there's, there's, I just do it for the love of it. I, Cause I enjoy it. Um, and I always look at, you know, I get scripts and musicals and stuff and I read through them. Like, this is, this is something I need to do. This, this means this has heart to it. And I, and I, I pick shows that I really enjoy. So um, is there a book coming for you or anything? Writing a book about your, Career? There could there could be a coffee table book. There could be. Could be. You just have to figure out the time to do it. The time to do it and, and exactly what I can include, because there's some things that have gone on backstage that I really can't really talk about. <laughs> so is there anything other other things in your wish list of your career that you want to accomplish or just more just keep going and be successful as the best? Um, there are a few things. I it's funny you say that because a few years ago, I went to see a show called House of Dancing Waters, which is a, a Franco Dragone production. And I don't know if you know who Franco Dragone is, but he he was the creative director for Cirque du Soleil for a long time. Okay. And then and then he broke away from them and, and opened up his own company. And I was sitting there watching the show and there was, I mean, maybe 15 people in the air flying around and they were diving in the water and doing all of this acrobatics. And I turned to my friend and I said, I want to do that. That is my goal. And four years later, I found myself in Dubai as Franco Dragone's flying director for a production that he did that is now currently running called The Pearl. And I had a total of 18 people in the air at one time. So you're setting those goals. You have to set it. It's a book. A book 
Yeah. Maybe a podcast on flying. Who knows? It's you got to start continuing to brand yourself, and there's got to be a category for all these awards for flying. Well, there's there's got there's got to be. I mean, even if it breaks down to special effects, there's got to be a category for special effects because there's so many things in our industry where people put their heart and soul into it, and there's no recognition. It just it just oh. goes away, you know. Like Would fight you, directors. Did you ever do it for like? Remember, remember the guy that did the. Uh, Tightrope across Times Square and all that stuff. Were you involved? Oh, the, in the, the Walenda family. Yeah. Are you ever involved yeah. in the rigging that they've done? No. Um, no, because they do their own stuff. They do their own rigging. Um, and I, I did. I started out as a rigger, but I, I. You're all more flying, so that's two different things. Right. So there's there's the rigging of the equipment for flying, and then there's the choreography of it. And since I, I I like the choreography more. For me, that's more of a challenge. Because I, what I have to do is take uh, either the director or the choreographer's idea and then make it a full-blown concept, Got it. you know. All right. So best place we can find information on you and learn more about you. Where can we go? Uh, my, my website is theflyguy.com. Very easy. Theflyguy.com. And, um, and you're always open for more, more opportunities then, right? And oh, I'm, I'm, I'm always open. Always open. I'm I'm always looking for the next next great project, you know. And and there's there's something always out there, you know. People are always calling, saying, "Hey, I have this idea. Can this work?" You know, when I sit and I, I discuss it with them, and then we actually work the flying into the show because they 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 want it there, but they don't know how to make it work. So I help them with their script or with the storyline, and I and I make it fit. The one thing that I don't like is gratuitous flying. I like to have it not stand out but tell the story if it doesn't but if it doesn't continue the story and push the story forward it's it to me it doesn't it's not it's worthless so i like to do that so i like working with the playwright or or the director and make the the flying not stop the show and say hey look at this spectacle but but continue the storyline all right we appreciate you coming by thanks again my pleasure man you're listening Thank and watching you. the Neil Haley Show. We'll be back in just a moment. We're back to the Neil Haley Show. And my guest today might know what I'm thinking about. Now, we all know uh, it's potentially how his gifts are and different things. So I'm excited to welcome the program. Daniel Jackson, he is been gifted with the ability to communicate with archangels and spirit. And I'm looking forward to talking to him today. Daniel, thanks for stopping by. Uh, Thank beyond, you for having Beyond me. the Veil. We're going to learn a little bit more and more about you, but so tell us your gift. How are you able to do this? Uh, well, I'm not psychic and I don't tell people I'm psychic because when you do that, then you always have that crazy person run up to you and say, Hey, what am I thinking? And uh, I tell them, uh, I don't know what you're thinking, but I know what I'm thinking about you. But anyway, so uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. I'm not one of those mediums who, who walks around talking and acting like the world is unicorns and rainbows because it's just not, you know, oh, everything's going to be so wonderful. Things can be wonderful if you remain a positive person, but that's not always easy to be in this world that we live in, especially with all the other people around us. Um, this ability that I have, uh, it actually comes through with every single person who's living. Uh, but what happens is when you start to grow a little bit older and you, you lose that pure of heart, and then the world basically takes a bucket full of bleach and throws it over top of you and sanitizes you of everything that you actually are able to do because they teach you the ways of the world. And then you become, uh, then you start learning how to have pain, anger, sorrow, grief, guilt, anguish, fear, all that stuff. Uh, I just, 
I'm one of those people that uh, none of that really affected me, uh, but I, I did not find out I was an actual medium and could, could communicate with spirit until just before I was 50. I've, I've always seen spirit my entire life, uh, but I just never really knew why. So explain, uh, so yeah, definitely explain to me what your gift is. So you're not a psychic and it isn't always great to be a psychic, you know, because well, I, I do get psychic messages. Like people will be standing next to me and I will get a message. It just comes into my mind and then I will go over and tell them. And usually when I tell them, they're like, how the heck did you know that? And I said, well, I was told that. So because some of us just are, as, as I explain it to people, some of us are meant to be teachers, but most people are meant to be students. So, uh, but the, the gift that I, ha I have, uh, quite a few abilities. Uh, some of them I discuss with people. A lot of them I don't. Uh, and the reason I don't um, is because the, the incorrect person may hear about something and then it goes on to somebody else. And then the next thing you know, they're coming to pick me up and lock me up and you're never going to hear from me ever again. Yeah. Cause they don't I, want that else. They don't want those things to come out. You know what I mean? Yes, they, you know what that thing is? It's called the truth, Neil. They don't want the truth coming out. So the truth. Okay. So explain to me, I'm kind of getting your gift, but what is your main gift that like you were able to tell on different pro your podcasts or being guests on other people's? Uh, well, one of my main gifts is I cross spirit over into the light. Uh, and, uh, and but uh, so I see all spirit. I don't just see people. I see dogs, cats, horses, cows, fish, everything. I see what we would consider other beings from other worlds. Because if you think we're the only world that has people in it, no. Uh, but my other part of that gift is I'm in connection with my spirit guides who we would refer to as archangels. They are not men with wings. They don't have a shield. They don't have a sword. They're not fighting a battle in heaven. They're just other beings. Uh, most of them don't look like humans. Uh, some of them look humanoid, and there's a couple I've seen that are human, but they were living here in the world a long time ago. Uh, but most of the ones that I see, they are not human, uh, and they don't look like humans, uh, but I see them all day long. I, I'm able to see into both realms, the one that we call uh, heaven, just another place, or the other one, which is earthbound. There's no such place as hell. No one's being tortured, any of that. The only people who want you to believe in that stuff are the people who want to tell you how to live your life the way they want you to live it and give them 10%. And how did they know that about 10% back then? Because the people who wrote all that stuff, the book and all that stuff, they were kings and queens. That's why. But yeah, I, I'm able to communicate with my, uh, my, uh, my guides who are archangels, who, is, who they are connected to everyone, which makes me connected to everyone. So anyone can ask me any question they want to, and I can get the answer for them. Uh, the way that they, I'm in communication with them is uh, two ways. One, they touch my face for yes and no answers. When it feels like a tear running down my face, that's a no. When I get touched across my eyebrow or on my forehead or on my head, that's a yes. <clears throat> the good part about having that gift is I can tell when someone's lying to me. Because the first mm. question, when they ask me a question, I ask them, is this person telling me the truth? I have literally gotten up and walked away from readings from people because they would not ask me truthful questions. Oh, my gosh. Because so I, can I do something on the air right now. It's only a seven minute interview, but I might want to have you on again because you're already entertaining completely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I have a lot going on. So, yeah. But, yeah, I, I communicate with them. They give me answers. Okay. Uh, 
touch my you face. Do you get predictions of what happens in politics or any of that? Do you ever able to find out any of that stuff? What's well, happening? Know, I, I can tell you politics is all, uh, it's just a whitewash of, of what's really going on in the world. Politics is more. Is what about more, what about wars? Any ideas on the wars and what could happen next? Any yeah. predictions? Wars coming. Wars coming. Okay. And how bad? Here. Here. United States. Yes. When? Very soon. Oh, okay. All right. So very soon. Is I've it known that for four, I've known that for five years. Five years. I've, so. Prior to two and a half years prior to COVID coming, I was told by them that COVID was coming. They told me a virus was coming and uh, the first stock market crash. Uh, so I was doing a festival circuit and throughout that circuit, when I would do readings for people, when I got a sense that I could tell someone, I did. And I put, I let that out to people. I let them know. I told them how also how to prepare because my guides told us how to prepare. I have enough toilet paper for three years and I had that for five years because they told me to do that, okay? So no, I was this, this out, they told me? My, uh, what we would call archangels, my guides, spirit. Oh, wow, okay. And wow. So, so they told me about that, I told people. And then when it came, uh, when it was just about to come, they gave me another message in January and they said, get ready. And then I told everyone else. And then I got 20 messages from people who said that they were glad they listened to me because uh, I, I, uh, they were prepared. But I got 20 more messages from people who said, I didn't listen to you because I thought you were crazy. I said, I'm not crazy. You're going to listen to me now. So what do you not, read people not. even like personal stuff to? Yes, I do personal readings as well. Uh, I either do them in a Zoom uh, now because of COVID, but I still do them in person. And I used to do a festival circuit uh, back east. I used to live in Delaware and uh, and we would do a festival circuit and I would be there with my booth set up and people would come in and do readings. But I also did... Uh, uh, workshops as well, teaching people why we're here and what our purpose is and all that. I, I do a lot of teaching videos on, on YouTube, and then I do that within our own podcast as well. I teach people to wake up because we're because everyone in this world is a slave, and they are slaves to the people who are in control and power of everything. That is, government, yes, but big corporation. They run everything. Government is just their puppets. That's all they are. They, they look like they're fighting with each other. They're not. They're hand in hand with each other. They, they are never going to help us. The party system has never worked. All right. So the, predict, so the prediction is a war coming to the United States. Absolutely. Very soon. Okay. Absolutely. Will it destroy us? So um, four years ago, I, I do also what's called channeling. And uh, we got a channeled message from Archangels who told me and my wife to move out here to Arizona. Here I am. And the reason I came out here is because it's no longer going to be safe to live on the East Coast. No longer safe to live on the East Coast. So the war will yeah. be in the East Coast. It won't be... East Coast and uh, West Coast. They're going to why, hit the not, why not the center of the country? Uh, because they're going to make, hit the major cities that's going to make the most impact. See, I, I live in a place down here in Arizona. It's, it's 154 square miles, just my area. Uh, there's only 44,000 people. They don't care about that. They want to make an impact. Well, again, we're talking here to Daniel Jackson. So let's go. Let's go. So I, I'm not going to do a personal reading because no, no one's going to know my personal life. 
are you able to read something about me? I'm just interested just to hear. I'm not going to tell you anything about me, anything. Can you mention, you know, meeting me, talking to me? What do you think? No, it, it doesn't work that way for me. You actually have to ask me questions. Oh, man. But uh, would you like me to talk about uh, the man that's standing behind you? With uh, He's got a little bit of hair on top, but it's kind of cut short on the sides. Um, he has brown eyes. Uh, his hair is even brown as well. Um, he has kind of sort of full lips, uh, but yeah, he's got like, he has the hair missing here, but all the hair on the side. Um, yeah. And he's standing right behind you. So is he uh, passed? Is he a being that was passed away? That's in uh, here? Yeah. Yeah. They, yeah. I, I see spirit. I see spirit everywhere. It never turns off. So there's mouth. somebody behind me. Why is that person behind me? Um, because he said he, he is, um, Oh, because he says he is here to be a spirit guide for you, to help you, to make this help you make decisions. There are spirit guides to help people make decisions. This is a yes. Decision. Spirit guides are people who have crossed over into the light, who have fulfilled their purpose, and then because they fulfill their purpose, they get to stay home, or they come back here and become spirit guides for people to help you make decisions. When Do you every have, all people have a spirit guide? Oh, absolutely. Everyone does. Everyone has at least two. You have a male who helps you with uh, with your more masculine decisions and a female with a more nurturing. But those two people, sometimes they're related to you. Most of the times they're not. They're just people who want to help and do good things. And uh, they come back here and help us. Anytime you wake up in the morning and you have an idea to do something, that idea did not come from you. Got it. Okay. It Where can people go right now, Daniel? You're one of the most intriguing interviews I've ever had in my life. Where can we go now? You're going to have to, I'm going to have you back. That's for sure. Because it's entertaining. What do you mean? Where do you want to go now? What do you want now, to do? To find your website, where for people can get do Zoom right now with you. Where can they go? Oh, if, oh, if they want to do that, uh, they can just find me at uh, www.spiritmediumdaniel.com. It's just one long word, spiritmediumdaniel.com. And or uh, they can find my podcast, which is www.beyond-the-veil.com. I tried to get regular beyondtheveil.com, but when I did that, Another site came up, uh, and I talk about spirit and metaphysical and all that stuff. And this one had to do with uh, reading Harry Potter books. Okay, that's uh, so, <laughs> so you. So you're really supernatural. Harry Potter is not real. Okay, we well, yeah, appreciate I it, Daniel. Real. Yeah, I'm the, I know. I'm the real deal. All right, Daniel, appreciate it. You're listening and watching the Neil Haley Show, and we'll be back in just a moment. We're back to the Neil Haley really Show, good. and you know what's really interesting? We talk about specific stories and to get information out. My guests today are going to talk about justice and how something happened with a dog and any dog story is phenomenal so i'm excited to welcome her Gian giovanna clark and thomas clark how are you guys good Hi, how, you how doing, are you? you good good so thomas start this whole story of what's happening with your dog and how you are trying to get the word out what happened and for dog owners all over the country to understand what could happen to their dog with not the right uh consultation Exactly. Well, it happened in October of 2020, October 3rd of 2020, when it all started. And uh, he was yelping. Well, we have a, a bunch of dogs, actually. We have the whole family. We have the mother and father and, and a few of them. And it was like 12 midnight on a Friday night. And we heard a, one of them yelping and crying. We didn't know what happened. And it, we jumped out of bed, ran downstairs and went outside. And I see one of them coming in was Ninja. He was coming in and he acted like there was nothing wrong. So we looked at each other and said, that was weird. That was 
very strange. I don't know what happened. So I went on, I got cameras on the outside of the house. So I went on the, on the camera and we looked at it and we see him trying to like go to the bathroom, like bending over and he was yelping really loud. And I was like, wow, that's crazy. And then when he came in, it seemed like he was okay. okay. So the next, the next morning I told my wife, I said, Giovanna, if he does that again, we got to take him to the hospital. And of course it's on the weekend all the time. So it happened on a Saturday morning around nine o'clock. He did it again. Uh-huh. And that's when we took him to the first emergency hospital. We're not going to mention names because we're still in the process of, you know, litigations and stuff. So I, I can mention a couple of the doctors, but not everything, you know, not at this time anyway. So Giovanna, what happens next after you take it to the hospital? Okay, when we take him to the hospital, they check him and they think he have a back problem. And we take him back to the bed, our bed. And they say he's agreed we have a back problem. But they give him a medication, a pain medication. He started to get him better. It was getting worse. The pain continued, continued. And I started asking to the doctor, to the bed, oh, what do you think it is? He said, I don't know, but I feel the pain. You know what? And I said, you know, because of my experience, I said, you know what? I want an ultrasound because something is more with the dog. He's getting, instead of getting better, he's like, it's not going away the, the, the pain. So says he recommend me another hospital uh, to making like ultrasound, uh, you know, and then this is where we went to do the ultrasound. And when we went to the ultrasound, my husband went because I was working and he was, uh, he was, he went to the ultrasound with him. What happens next time? The, the first thing, like when we went to the first one, we thought it was his back too. So, cause the way he was bending over. Right. So that's where like we thought it was. So they, they, when we showed them the video of it, what happened? Cause I had a video of what, when he was trying to go. Mm-hmm. So we went to the second emergency hospital. They told us they, they're going to do the ultrasound. They did the ultrasound. That was on November 23rd. Yes. November 23rd, they did the ultrasound. And they told me that they see that he had a large a cyst. Well, they didn't say large. They said a cyst on his prostate. Yeah, they said like they no. found something they were thinking was cancer. Because when he, the doctor talked to me, because my, I was working, my husband told me, oh, they think the dog have cancer. I said, are you sure the dog have cancer? He needs to have a CT, a CAT scan. Okay, that's fine. So said, we're making an appointment for a scan, but it was coming the holiday. They cannot do it early. They want to do it in December 2nd. And they do a CT in the dog. About in that, when they're doing the CT, they want to take a biopsy to check they, what is going on. They took the biopsy with the first time. With, with the ultrasound. ultrasound. You, you was there with him. Yeah, with the ultrasound, they did the biopsy. They were telling me they think it could be cancer. So everything cancer right away, they're thinking. So when they did the biopsy, they told to come back again for the CAT scan. That was on December 3rd. And that's when we found out how big the cyst was. Oh. And they, they told us this cyst was... Well, she knows the size. Okay, so. well, they do a CT and the dog, they found a cyst, a mega cyst, 17 centimeters by 12 centimeters and 8 centimeters uh, deep. was a mega cyst. The doctor told me the result that was no cancer, was a cyst in the prostate, and they have to have uh, operation. He said he will talk right away to the... To the person who do the, the operation, the, yeah, the surgeon to do the soft tissue surgeon, and they wanna make a surgery. It's what he wants. He recommended say, okay, no problem. I want the surgery right away. But the problem is, to they don't give me an appointment right away. They give me an appointment to see him in January. 
and I say, why? <laughs> the doctor told me the operation had to be right away. I was calling him every day to see if I have any opening to see him. Well, that, when we got there, it's the same place. That's the thing. That's why we were so confused because it's an emergency hospital. They have they have everything there. They have their critical right. list. They have inter- you know. So the, the guy that did the ultrasound, the person that did the ultrasound, uh, the CAT scan rather, he works with the surgeon. They mm-hmm. work together. Right. So when they set up the surgery in January, we're like, that's crazy. As her being, my wife's a nurse. As her being a nurse, she's saying, if that's a person, they're not going to make you wait over a month to do surgery when right. they knew about it. Only they give me, they give me antibiotics to the doctor. Yeah, even in, the, in that, that time. But he's having fever. He wasn't feeling well. Oh, I was yeah. calling every day. Say, I need a, uh, I need an early appointment for that. In the meantime, my other bed, because my dog, he could didn't go to do number two normally. He have no way to push him. He told me, you know, in the meantime, you know, until he go to for operation, giving Vaseline to make him help to pass the, the stool. I was giving that. I was calling every day. Every day. So many times I called that they give me an appointment for December 14th. Yeah, we called every single day when, when they we knew what the problem was. They knew what the problem was. We were calling him because he was getting worse. He wasn't doing well. And the medication, they just gave us antibiotics. Like, he had a mega cyst. It was a huge cyst on there. I mean, antibiotics are not going to do it. And that's when we kept calling and calling and calling. By December 8th, they set up a consultation on December 14th because they got tired of hearing us calling calling him. I have all the records of how many times we called every single day, sometimes two times a day, you know. So yes, what happens next? Sorry. What happens next? Yeah. Yes, and December 14th, he taken to the consultation. Uh, of course, because I was worried, he didn't go. He went to the consultation, and the and and the surgeon said, you know, I'm agree. He have to have an operation right away. And what happened? Instead to take him to keep him that night to do the operation, they said we're gonna do operation next day, December 15th. But in the meantime, as we were, as the time was going. He was urinating little and little and little and little. It, so he was getting less and less urine coming out. Because the cyst was starting to block his urethra. It was crushing it. Mm-hmm. So by the 14th, then when I went in for the consultation, he already stopped urinating. He wow. couldn't urinate no more. So she set up surgery for the 15th. I took him in for the 15th to do the surgery. And after surgery, she called my wife. Yes, I bring him to the December 15th. He had the surgery. He said he will call me after the operation to give me the report. After the operation, she called me, the surgeon. And when they called me, she said, you know, uh, the operation, when he, she was doing the operation, that she could didn't pass the catheter, like a Foley catheter, they put in a stroke Foley, because it was, first uh, thing said she couldn't pass it. And when we couldn't pass it, she said she do an incision in, her, in his bladder of the dog, and she said she emptied two liters of urine yes. in the poor dog, like the size so of So she put uh, a cystostomy tube to drain and it. So she told me she drained it, and when she drained it, she put a camera inside, and she said she don't see no stones, no cancer, nothing inside. But after when she was giving me the report, she said, if the dog don't pee in 24 hours, you have to put him down. I said, uh-huh. okay, and she was telling me the report, this and that, that she do this, she do that. 
they But the problem they kept him overnight that night. They kept him there all night to to, to I guess monitor him. Mm-hmm. And at that time we were calling all all night long, seeing how he was doing, right. of course. Mm-hmm. And they and because she goes home, it's a, you know, it's in Mercy Hospitals. They have another doctor there or whatever. And they said he did not urinate. So 3 o'clock in the morning, we called again. And she said that um, that she's going to put a catheter in to drain him because he hasn't urinated yet. So when they put in the catheter, when we call in the night, they empty like a 450 ml urine. Say, okay. So we were, when came the next day, the doctor who do the surgery called us back again. And he said, you know, we're going to send the dog home because probably because he's stressed. He's not in the place. And yeah. sorry, he don't want to eat and he don't want to pee. Maybe you take him home, probably he will do it. Say, okay, but you, uh, they say that if the dog don't pee in 24 hours, again, bring him back. Say, okay. We, yeah. we take him, you know, we went, you know, like by the afternoon, we take him home. The, uh, I, I'm sure they they, they put a, a, a holy, they, they, they empty the urine. We take it home, he, he drink water, he was better, but yeah. he was like like uh, moving around, but he couldn't even pee. He was like yeah. going going around, but he tried, he put his leg up, but he right. couldn't even pee. Yeah. But he started eating at least, oh my God, you know, maybe. We're waiting the time, we're waiting the time. But I started getting nervous because I'm a nurse. If you wait 24 hours, it's too much. Right. I only wait like uh, 16 hours. Say, you know what? No, I take him back to the emergency room, uh, to the to the hospital again. I take him back. Ah, but the the, the doctor who do the surgery wasn't there. It was another doctor. Was and when I see the other doctor, say, you know, the dog don't pee, swallow. Say, you know what? I'm gonna put another another catheter to empty. But I say I'm gonna put the same stroke catheter to empty. But he say in the nose that I have from the surgeon. I tell you that if the dog don't pee, you have to euthanize him. You have to kill him to pour him asleep. So they told us three times that euthanize. You have to euthanize the dog. Okay, so what do you do? So you don't want you don't listen to that, right? When they said euthanize. Yes, and and because I'm a nurse and I beg to the bed that was in calling there that day, say please, I'm a nurse. I know I'm familiar with polycatheters and all that. You can leave it. Okay, so we're going to. So this is a great story. So what happens? You made you said no, so you went somewhere else, right? Uh, no. Well, uh, no, we didn't go somewhere else right away. She put the straw, a straw catheter. It's called a hard catheter, like a straw, and she did that. My wife actually talked her into it. She yes. goes, "We don't send the dog home with a catheter." In. You know, but, yes, but I convinced and say, "Please, please leave the folic okay. catheter, the straw catheter." Say, "Okay, I will leave it for." 24 hours to 48 hours, but you have to call me like, uh, uh, you know, uh, 24 hours, every eight hours, something to give me a report how he's doing. And between 24 hours to 48 hours, you remove it and try to see because it's so swallow. And I cannot, I cannot put it, the soft cut, I have to put the straw. I'm going to put the stitches and you have to open it every, every four times a day to okay. empty and see what happened, you know. And she did it, and when he took it home, I was opening, he was doing, he was eating, he, he tried to pee, but he could nothing coming out, I have to open it and drain it out. And I was calling him, I was telling him what happened, all of that. Past the 48 hours, I removed the stroke catheter. Not 48, 24. 24, between 24 to uh, okay. two days, I removed it. We removed it, it yeah. I okay. removed it, and I go ahead what I did, say, okay, watch him. If he don't pee, bring him back. 
I wait, I wait the eight hours after remove it, nothing come out. I bring him back. And yeah, he still couldn't urinate even after we took so, out. So they basically at this point say they're going to put down the dog, right? Yeah. That's what they want. Yeah. To okay. okay. So, so when I bring him, go to the answer. So what do you do? Okay. And after that, I bring him back over there. Thank God she's still the same doctor in call because she was helping me. She was helping. And this time she she could she could she put this time the soft catheter. This soft catheter could be for seven days. Could be for seven days for one week. Um, but this one I can open. I have to like with a syringe, a big suck syringe. I have to suck out the urine. The same thing every mm -hmm. eight hours. What mm -hmm. she told me, you suck out the urine, and you have to keep an eye and to see maybe because it's so swallow go can go away. Entonces came Monday because what happened that in the weekend and in Monday the surgeon called me and told me, oh, we have the biopsy, the other result because they're doing another one. After the surgery, no cancer, this and that. But they say, you know, this is the last try. Because the problem was the the, the bladder had over two liters. It expanded so much. It oh overstretched that it destroyed his nerves. So okay. they're thinking, which we were thinking, because his bladder was damaged, that he wasn't going to be able to urinate no more. Okay, so That's what we would do, thinking. basically, how are they negligent, the, the, the group? They're negligent because it gets the story gets very interesting. Because what happened was the doctor that put the soft uh, catheter in told us to find somebody else. I think you could do more. She told us to call actually Cornell in New York. And she said, I would try to call Cornell. I think you could do more for the dog. Because the records that the other surgeon had down said to euthanize him, to kill him. So we called Cornell, but they were so backed up, they couldn't get him in at all and they said well, you could sit in the parking lot for three days so now we're we only have a matter of time left because we have to get this catheter back out so what do you do and so you so you, you give up with the group you're with right we did we 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 gave up on them we gave yeah. up on them because they wanted to kill them yeah because uh, when i talked to the this bed that was helping me say you know what uh, she wants to put him down this other bed and you know what try another place she told me try to cornell and say okay and start looking for another place and i start okay. looking in the internet and i find amazing doctor she that, was looking for like things with handicapped dogs because people that have handicapped dogs they 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 they're you know they're in wheelchairs oh, and so so basically what do you do where do you find so they didn't she find she, I'm sorry. She finds a story about this dog named Malin on the internet, and it, and she found this guy. He's a traveling surgeon. Mm -hmm. His name was Phil, Dr. Phil Zeltzman. So she sent him an email at three o'clock in the morning, and he we, he called us back that next morning, and and this was now it was like three days already. He had the catheter, and so he calls us back the next morning. He told us, "Do not put the dog down. I think I could help you." Okay, so, yeah, so that's when he told me. Yes, when I, when I talked to him, he said, you know, uh, you can take care of this. We have no one to put a tubing. As he told to me, too, this tubing go from the bladder to the outside of the wall, like a uh, tubing go to the abdominal wall and go inside. Yes, I say, I'm, I'm familiar with this kind of tubing in humans. I can't take care of animals. They say, okay, it's I'm going to do that. It's the same thing. You have to empty four times a day, but you have to take it out. To try to see he can pee and also with the tubing say okay i'm gonna do it and we we make the operation we go ahead and 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 yeah he set it. up the operation the next day and, and so the operations we are running out of close really running out of time 
the operations were success and what is that correct? Yes, it was success for a month because he pulled the tube out. When my kids, I have teenage twins. They're seven. They were seventeen now. They were sixteen. So we were all helping because it's a lot of work. He pulled the tube out. When he pulled that tube out, we well, my wife knew there was a problem because he was getting worse even after he put the tube in. This was like only a, not even a week later that they did the second surgery with the tube. Right. So he got worse and worse and worse. And my wife's like, I don't know what's going on. So we were emailing Dr. Zelkman. He said, I don't understand it. She says, I think he's anemic because the dog's licking the walls. He's licking the floor. Oh, right. Very weird. So what do you find out? Yeah, when we do that. We found out um, that when he, he pulled out the tube, well, right before he pulled out the tube, he sent us for blood. My wife said, I, I think he needs blood work. And the doctor's up, they agreed. And he said, yeah, you're right. Do the blood work. Then we can find out what's going on. So, and we find out he was anemic. But in the meantime, when find anemic, he pulled the, the tube out. When he pulled the tube out, he trying to put another tube in. He couldn't even put it because he has platelet is so low that if he He's do another operation, he can kill him because he can die with hemorrhage. But in the meantime, we found an internist. We're staying with the internist. But he put a catheter back in to buy us time. Yeah, we have to get against the square one. You have to get a, 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 a catheter. Again, the, the soft catheter to be empty him. In the meantime, when we see the internist and she do all okay. the checkout, she say, I know what is the problem. She find out that the dog have a cyst in the prostate, and that is it. the problem that he still have the infection, and, from and, the, and the and the a prostate making the anemia and all of that. Okay, now, so, so the dog's okay. Dog's fine. Ninja's upstairs yes. actually. After after that, we have to do a transfusion, another operation with the same doctor salesman, and in all of that, but we pass. A nightmare because we have to put another tube When he do the, the other operation in the right way, removing the cyst, he starts the whole thing. So, what is your goal now by coming out in the media and doing what do you want? The the main thing is we're trying to put out there is get a second, third opinion. Don't take no for an answer. Don't give up. Because if you think your dog has a chance, fight for that chance. I mean, he's he's great today. I can call him down now. And they wanted to kill him three times. So your you know goal, I mean? your goal is to get this out to every dog owner that they need to take a second, third opinion. Exactly, because even with the anemic, we did certain things. I mean, we're trying to teach other pet owners because there's so many pet owners that dogs are anemic. So they have different really great opportunity, and yeah, for sure. Where can people go? Because uh, they can go on Justice for Ninja. I have on Justice for Ninja on the website. Uh, it's for um, actually, it's on Facebook. And if they want to see the story, they just Google uh, Ninja Surgery. Just Google Ninja Surgery. You'll see his whole story come up. All right. Sounds good. On, on Ninja Surgery. Appreciate it. And, oh. and, and you, you can also go to YouTube and do Ninja Surgery. You'll see oh. the video. You're going to see the whole that, story. The whole video that we went through for eight months to save his life. Oh, my gosh. Okay. You're listening and watching the Neil Haley Show. We'll be back in just a moment. We're back to the Neil Haley Show. And... My guest today is, I, I can't describe him. He's film, TV, he's uh, author. You're, you're, you're just, you have so much. So Rick Karatash is welcoming us. Welcome, Rick. And man, and then I was reading some of your stuff and some of these projects you've been in. What was first? What did you do first? Because we all end up doing all these different skills. Yeah. I'm a pro wrestler, former pro wrestler, a writer, a former college basketball player. 
former teacher, you know, entrepreneur still, nationally syndicated radio host, writer. I have all those in this list. It, 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 the first thing that started was not that, right? It was just, you know, pro wrestler to everything else. Right. So about how about you, your story? Yeah. Well, variety is the spice of life. So there you go. You know, I, well, I was always liked writing and I, I uh, you know, I do a little, did a little acting and stuff like that, but I, I started writing songs first years ago and stuff. And then I started writing sketches and then uh, I never thought I would write a whole script, but I ended up writing a whole script. And then I never thought I'd write books, but I ended up getting ideas for a couple of books and I did those. And so it took a long time. I've been writing for years and years and years, but finally the last few years, some things have started to click. And a few years back, I got a movie made, Welcome on My Pradas, and that was on Netflix and it's on Amazon. And so, and then after the movie, I was trying to make other movies. I wrote like 10 other scripts, but Hollywood only makes remakes and sequels. So they're all sitting here. But um, in the meantime, I wrote two books, Rainbow Relatives, on speaking to kids about LGBTQ families and friends. And I interviewed a lot of people for that book and got a lot of good stories and advice for parents on talking to their kids. And then during the pandemic, I wrote how catering sucked the life right out of me because while we do all these creative endeavors, we sometimes need side things to, uh, you know, uh, supplement while we're doing those things with uh, money and stuff. So um, that was kind of a fun book about my catering experiences. So um, yeah, I've always been writing since for a long time, but I never really said I'm going to really do that, but I'm doing it more and more, you know, and getting so more, and more singing and writing and writing has led to more and more writing scripts and writing books. So it's all, it just all depends on what you're doing, right? You're going to write a screenplay, you're going to write a book and all these things. What is the process? What, what advice do you give writers to get, to get out there? You got your books, you've done, you've done, you've written the movie before. What do you recommend so that they can get this done and have the success of being able to, you were able to, what you've been able to do? Well, the main thing is, to, is well, I guess, determination and sticking with something because it takes a lot longer than people think. I mean, sometimes things happen really quickly, but the movie from the beginning to end took like almost seven years. By the time I wrote it, rewrote it, tried to get a big studio to do it, um, then said we're going to do it ourselves, I'm going to do it this budget, then we lowered the budget. And then by the time you shoot it and then edit it. And so it's a long process. And the book, Rainbow Relatives, took like five years of interviewing people. So patience stick with it just do, some people everyone says oh i want to write a book i want to write this i want to do this and they just talk 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 but they never sit down and so allocate some time to do that i'm not good with organized time like okay i'm going to write this week from eight to ten each morning i'm not but i will find a certain amount of hours in that week you know to do it and i'm, I'm motivated enough to just find those hours to do it. but i'm not exactly the most organized but yeah I, one of the things just showing up as people say like just you know and, and then once it's written there's a lot of work to which is that's even harder getting getting stuff made or getting it out there is even harder than you know i'm trying to make my next movie which is a family inspirational film and jolie fisher's going to direct it but again it's getting the we're trying to get the funding for it and some name actors attached and you have to get you, you've already made you need to get a, a big star to get the money because i was talking you do, I, yeah I, you I have, I, and that's my expertise level, level is because i can get any celebrity on my show pretty much that you develop that relationship then bam Hello. Yeah. Right. So I'll have to figure out the script and tell you that's just one thing I do is I'm a yeah. connector. I, even though that's not my main thing, as I said, I connect, I can connect people to anyone. And that's because heck, I've been doing this for 12 years and it's gonna be 13 in January and or in December. And literally I've interviewed almost eight thousand people. So it's like and and it's because it's the whole process of getting to know somebody. 
And people, if they want to do something they enjoy and love and they can, and they, you're going to learn to make money at it and you're going to learn how to develop and see what happens. Because if you choose something you're passionate about, I was staying up all nights trying when I started this biz and meaning the radio and now it's television and it's podcasting and who knows what next. I'm you know, in my celebrity podcast is ranked 12th uh, according to feed spots. So the celebrity podcast in the world. So it was just, a, I put the work in and the acknowledgement and that's what we got to do. And that's what you do. And so we definitely look at that, but I like your perseverance, but you love writing, right? Writing. Oh, perseverance. That's the other word. Yeah. I forgot. Right, <laughs> I, right. I love, I love writing. And we were lucky with the first movie. We had like Tom Arnold. We got in D Wallace and Nathaniel Marsh. We're going to do both stuff. Tom Arnold and D Wallace. Yeah. Um, yeah. Both. And who, are, who are both great. And especially like D Wallace was just lovely. And, Tom Arnold was cool to work with. We had him just a couple of days, but it looks like we had him for two weeks. We really milked the time we had with him. But um, yeah, with that that's hard too, just to get the attachment talent. And, but yeah, the, I'm more of a writer. I did produce that one and I, I do some acting, but the writing is where my heart is. And, what have you acted? What, what kind of stuff do you Well, I, I had a small part in, my, in the Welcome Mom, My Prada's movie, um, which was kind of like a freaky Friday with a gay straight twist. And the main character played by Nathaniel Marson was a macho homophobic construction worker. And he got his... Sexual orientation switched uh, thanks to some Christmas magic with his gay coworker two weeks before his wedding. So it's kind of like a Christmassy feely, um, but you know, kind of nice message and all that. So I play one of the construction worker friends in that who's in the closet kind of so, and they run each, into each other at this gay bar, the main character and me. So that was kind of fun to play. Um, and just little parts that otherwise, you know, on some soaps, I had some few lines here and there as a mailman and this and that. and. Uh, play to police officers and things like that. And some commercial work. I, I love doing commercial work, you know. <laughs> but, All right. Uh, well, fantastic. Where can people pick up your books? Where can they go? Um, Amazon. Uh, it's Rainbow Relatives. Um, some Barnes & Nobles carry them as well. And the How Catering Sucked the Life Right Out of Me. Also Amazon and maybe a few bookstores. Um, Rainbow Relatives was published by Skyhorse Publishing, which is under Simon & Schuster. So that one's maybe a little easier to find. The How Catering Sucked the Life Right Out of Me, I, I self-published that. But it is in a few Barnes and Nobles and Calabasas has some, and um, and then Amazon. And, so you've uh, accomplished two major things: a film, and you you wrote you got pu published. Even though you self published your second book, you got published your first. So that the first one, yeah. So I know both how both work and both have you know pros and cons to them. But again, to be a published author, there's not. It's a very low percentage of people. So it's something that you really should hang your hat on for sure. And we appreciate you coming by. I appreciate having me on the show. Yeah, thank you so right, much. Take care. You're welcome. Bye. You're listening and watching the Neil Haley Show. We'll be back in just a moment. We're back to the Neil Haley Show. And something that I don't always say, and when he would come on uh, Club Pod with me in Clubhouse, when I had the best Club Pod room in the world, bottom line, drew 100 people live for six hours and was not doing where I had people just posting up. We really provided value. He came on and because he is radio. And he's podcasting, Eric Gorenson, veteran broadcaster. How are you, Eric? What's going on, man? Good, brother. Thanks for having me on, man. Absolutely. So let's talk about your experience. It's radio and podcasting. So you started in radio, right? It's funny. I started doing radio TV production in high school. And then in my high school years, I was doing afternoon drive time at a country station my senior year in high school, got into design and construction, and then 25 years later, combine the two together and uh, am now doing home improvement radio and podcasting. But the radio, so it's on radio as well than podcasting. So you have yeah, that hybrid. Yeah. yeah, I'm syndicated through uh, Talk Media Network and uh, 
They carry my show nationally, and we're on about 45 stations across the U.S. and growing right now. And your co-host I had on my show before, too. Yeah, Carolyn Bozowski, America's Healthy Home Expert. Yeah, so so that so you guys are on right, right so that must have been an opportunity. Is that the first radio deal you had syndication or not? No, that's my third deal we had. We bounced around between a few people that uh, you know I thought were great in the talk space, and uh, it just you know we didn't grow, and they didn't have the staff to go out and make it grow. So once I got over to Talk Media Networks, we just started instantly growing, and we've got the right perfect team put together right now. So, did you think about when you talk about specifically enough uh, you doing this? It's because you niched down with home improvement, right? It was needed, and you have a great radio voice for sure. Thanks, man. Yeah, and you know, and and no shade thrown upon on the other radio hosts out there, but a lot of them are kind of that seventy-year-old handyman, and the younger audience had a hard time relating to grandpa talking about home improvement stuff. So I thought, you know, there's so many millennials and younger people out there that didn't get shop class in high school that don't know what to do around their home. And let's, let's niche down into that and, and reach those people and see if we can give them a hand. Yeah. And that's what I did now where I'm niching down my business to creating tribes and communities. And that's it. Everything else I can do. I've done marketing and everything. And I've just said, that's it. I'm going to just focus on building tribes and communities for clients. And that's where I'm, I'm at now. And also doing the radio and television. It's always fun. And the celebrities, as you saw, number, I'm the number 12 celebrity podcast in the world according to Feedspot. Uh, ranks higher than Shaq and Snooki's podcast. And, you know, I always have major celebrities on. Last week, you know, um, it, it, just, it just always just keeps going and going from having Sean Young on my show also to Ralph Sampson, the legendary NBA player play for the Houston Rockets. So that's every week for me. That's pretty cool. I, I'm waiting. I might have to talk to you about this whole talk media thing and say, why don't I, why am I not on one of those big deals? If I'm on the best celebrity podcasters in the world, if I can get all these celebrities, because imagine my wish list of people I can talk to. And what I do just like you is have a conversation with people. It's entertaining. Yeah. We entertain people, right? Exactly. Yeah. Home improvement, just talking about, Screwing two pieces of wood together can be really boring if you're not having some fun doing it. If you're well, not, I, having fun I, doing I, I, have, I have no handyman skills at all, brother. <laughs> so I need to be ch checking that out, man. You know, I mean, I, like I said, I'm on syndicated radio, but I'm always looking to expand. It's always about expansion. It's always about growing. You never know when the chances and opportunities come and go figure. It's for sure. You know, well, I have to give the early days of clubhouse, the props for me changing networks because it was John Wiley out there. John J. Wiley that said, Eric, you should talk to my people. And sure enough, uh, he's the one that got me into uh, talk media network. So I, I got to give those early days of the good old days props because I probably wouldn't have yeah, that really probably would that. never have met. No, John, if it wasn't for me. Yeah, exactly. You know that? Because yeah, no, I brought that's John I mean. to that's the whole thing right here. That's I brought John to club live. That's so exactly. hilarious. And he keeps saying that they, you need to have specifically, you can't do it on zoom. And right now my sound, I could care less. I'm just, you know, I'm just rolling brother at solid. Yeah. I can set that up again. I definitely am looking at the next level syndication. And so I will go to you because this is the thing. That's what I did in club clubhouse. And this mm -hmm. is going to be my clubhouse <sighs> telling people why we were on clubhouse experts like you and I Yeah. to be an expert, not to sell to them, not to frigging put them in a funnel, to give them expertise information that not many people can give. I've done over 8,000 plus interviews in my career. 
You have, yeah. you're a nationally syndicated radio host. I'm a nationally syndicated radio host. Yeah. We have done so many different shows. We understand production. We understand all that. And yet you had other people, when they asked them those questions, they literally said, oh, go to my link. Well, that's, no. That, no. But what Clubhouse, and that's why Clubhouse is just, I, I don't go back. And I don't know if I will go back. And it's because it used to be a forum for experts to talk. Not anyone talks and they're not providing value. It's just, you know, it's a bunch of people that, and, and there's some good nuggets in there still. Oh, I'm sure. sure. Good. And, and I'm sure and I, would, I would say hello, but I, yeah, I don't want to put a blanket across all of them. Right. But I say there's so many times you get in there and I just get disgusted because I'm like, okay, we have a bunch of non-experts pitching that they're an expert and uh, go over to my place and I'll charge you for advice that didn't work for me. <laughs> but see, that's life. And that's what happens. That's the next thing in, in, in internet marketing. And I've had these experiences. I mean, it, it was, Clubhouse was amazing, but it, it was, again, the thing is entertainment is an addiction. And when you get to be on the top stage, like I was running that club pod room every Saturday for four or five hours wow. and having hundred people and they come on stage, it's, 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 it's the best thing in the world. And I'm so glad for John, because again, John, how we connected, I forget it was completely, but he brought him right over to, he was going to the morning rooms where I did this one other deal. It was yeah, like, I school. was in there too. And so, oh, yeah. so I, and, and I was running that and then see, oh, now they'll get this link and say, I'll get more heat. That's why I'll have to just say, you know what? I'll just chill out and I'll stay just interviewing people all the time. Right. Yeah. And that's what it is. Yeah. You just, you know, sometimes it's good to stay in your lane and, and, and do what you do best and, you know, dial it back and, and just, you know, keep doing what you're doing. Cause like, for instance, you, you're out there just crushing it, brother. Well, and you've no, got the right people, you got things going. So at some point you have to sit there and just go, man, you know, I can help other people out, but I got a show to do. Right. Exactly. And I help people in another way. I, I was always yeah. trying to be everything and everything. And this is, is with us, but we, uh, the lesson learned from clubhouse is this it made us both better because honestly going in a live form and asking, answering questions about podcasting, radio, television, it was a great experience. It made me a better speaker. And I recommend anyone going on there if they can run their own room and grow their own room and practice the art of speaking. Because if you can speak well, like you can and I can, we'll always make a living because there's not a lot of great speakers out there that can entertain. No question. And, and so as Gary V says, you got to entertain, empower, and educate people. And if you're not doing either of those three things, you're not doing anything right. And that's it. And so I love the education portion on Clubhouse. I love to entertain when I would joke around with people on Clubhouse about their week or different things and 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 empower to really say you can do this. There's no giving up. You don't you, you can do it. And for you, what's next for you? You're doing this podcast, the radio show and podcast. Where do you see this going? You already are syndicated. Are you looking for a next level to where you are right now? Do you think the next deal is up? You had this one and the next one's coming. Now this, uh, I'll be, as far as I see, I'll be with talk media network for a while. Those guys are, are doing everything right for me. So not to sound like a commercial for those guys, but uh, I'm very happy with the way that's going. So I can't say that next is going to be just growing the show, getting us bigger, you know, enlarge that audience. And then, uh, going to dive back into TV some more too. So the television, so you had a TV show before. I was doing local TV here for uh, our local Meredith owned channel back in the day, which was uh, Fox 12 here. So I was doing in Portland where I'm located, Oregon, 
I was doing a, a weekly DIY segment on there that was four or five minutes, and I was doing that. And I, to be honest, I. Didn't